you're in the game, I think. Uh, oh, I think so. Can you hear me? I can indeed. <laughs> you have an accent. <laughs> I have an accent. That is sure. <laughs> yes, I got no accent. <laughs> I'd say you probably do versus where I am coming from. <laughs> I gotta let you talk though to hear it, but <laughs> I think so. I read what you wrote. It was uh I don't know if you saw it or not, but it reminds me of Jack Kerouac's School in Eternity. I don't know if you've read that or not. No, I haven't, but I was tempted to go look it up when I saw your comments. It's actually quite long, but it's quite delightful. It's a free flow of 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 thought that uh uh, yours reminded me very much of it. it. It's just kind of a, well, we both know this is impossible to talk about, but we can allude to it in a combination of words that elicit a, a feeling tone. But Jack Kerouac does it very well. Uh, I don't know why more people aren't aware of Golden Eternity who are into this search for personal relevance, yeah. but it's really quite delightful. I think you'd enjoy it. Well, I would check it out. Yeah, it's quite funny when you, because um, I would say, um, oh, sure, um, I'll never write or I'll never do anything on this because nothing can be said. And then two seconds later, all of that has no relevance whatsoever because there's a question. And then, oh, I might like to actually respond to that. <laughs> and then it's voom. The, um, I'm convinced that this, whatever it is, arises in the moment and disappears in the moment. Um, that's why seeking and searching through ancient tomes and literature and uh, gives us a little bit of perfume. But I, Tom Kelly came up, he's part of Rainbows, he hasn't been participating there, but I've known him for a long time. He was. We've had several of the same teachers and he actually interfaced with several of them. And uh, we dove deep into the deep green places. And uh, it was quite delightful and quite spontaneous. Uh, at the end of these conversations, for some reason, I find myself always saying, I love you because I do. And, uh, I don't feel that, I know, I know that we exist only in this imaginary separation, that uh, we emerge only in this named place, the consensus conceptual overlay that we mistake for reality. But this, whatever this is, is in the moment. It's not in the now. I don't think there is such a thing, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I think that the quest for the now is a circuitous way of trying to find this, and we are it already. And it's uh, you hear other people say you, you're enlightened already, and that's not quite right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I still have this remnants of this cough. Um, It's, it's kind of like the living cambium of a tree, just this outer layer is alive, scintillating spontaneity. Uh, that's where it lives. Uh, and we can't get to it because we're there. <laughs> Trying to get to the now is 
it's just uh, it's just impossible. There is no such thing. Um, but I think that attempt is to is kind of an intuitive way of knowing that this aliveness is this ever emerging moment. This um, it's not even a moment. It, it's well, here we are. There's a place where Rumi says, uh, what does he say? We can't, uh, but hush now, we can speak no more. Um, and I don't know what it is. I, I, ever since that event in Las Vegas, the vortex I slipped into, I live there. Everything I see is fresh and new. I walked through Costco and, and I think I wrote in rainbows that I fell in love 10 times. And I talked to people and I interfaced with them. There were three old guys my age <laughs> having breakfast and I was ahead of my family. My grandchildren and wife were coming along and I approached their table and I said, is everybody getting along here? Does any problems, political or social issues that, that you need answered and uh <laughs> the guy said yeah i have so so we laughed and talked and they wanted me to join them and i wanted to join them i said oh it, they asked me for breakfast the next time and i said oh i live in cambria and one says well i live in san i live in uh, winchester and i live in uh somewhere down there all about 20 miles apart and i i thought seriously of of going there but then i i don't like small talk anymore i don't this is the only thing that seems to draw my attention this aliveness this being the jewel of the life of the world uh i don't i don't go to parties we really don't have any friends because we enjoy each other's company so much my wife and i but uh this lightness, this joy of simply being is always there. Mm. I think that that's all enlightenment is, that we have an idea of, of, what, uh, of what it is, and then we go in quest of that idea with other ideas, and it will remain elusive uh, for as long as we search for it because we are defined by the search itself. <clears throat> Something happens. I don't know what it is. It's a profound shift in perspective. And uh, the search is over. It comes to a full stop. I haven't read anything. Last thing I read was David Karras, I think. Uh, or maybe Susan Seagal. I don't remember. But I, I don't know if there's any new authors out there. I'm sure there are who have written about this. I love Nancy Nethercott's interface. I was on uh, several, I was on the Nasurgadatta Nisarugadatta um, list for a while and I got booted because of my, of these beliefs. Um, I don't, I don't see people as anything other than a wonderful collage of swirling memories. I see my grandchildren that way too, and it, and my wife and myself. Intricate, we'll never understand 
who we are. We'll never understand what it is to be. We mistake description for understanding. And somehow flowing along in this great unknown unknowableness, I just find delightful. I'll, my wife gets, I'm sure, tired of me saying, oh, look at that tree. <laughs> look, did you see that dog? I've never seen the dog. <laughs> Uh, it's it's like a baby points mm. i don't think to find out what that is they just want to share what they see they they go like this with that little little finger look look <laughs> look uh i feel that way in the in the morning and i feel that way when i go to bed i don't this doesn't carry over to nighttime dreams they are as chaotic as normal and i get lost and can't find my home it doesn't quite dawn on me there that I don't have a home in a dream. <laughs> and, but, and I can't find my wife sometimes, and uh, that frustrates me. Uh, I, I think the, the brain, the sense of self, needs to be constant, needs a thought drip 24 7. Uh, and dreams merely function to keep the self relevant during that time. And I don't know what deep sleep is. I don't know if we can experience that or speak of it. I don't know if there is such a thing. But uh, this incessant thought stream that we try to stop is us. It's who we are. It's, we are defined by that. We emerge, we are the same phenomenon as that. Mm. Any bells, Any, anything going off in there? I just um, apparently lost in the hearing or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, um, it's, uh, I was curious about when you were talking about the vortex and your sense of it, um, using that word of the vortex, just curious that's, um, what your sense of, when I say that back to you, what words come to you? Vortex. Oh, in mystical thought, there's uh, vortexes uh, <laughs> in what Arizona, Nevada, somewhere, and people go there and go into sweat lodges and stuff. And but this, how I think I've I've written about this so many times in 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 my uh, in different groups. What what happened to me in Las Vegas? And I'll do a, a, I don't know if you've read my story or not. Yeah, an abbreviated version, we would go to Las Vegas because we owned a retail clothing store and we'd have to go twice a year. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I, I talk quietly and my wife has to say, speak up all the time. <laughs> uh, the, uh, we go to a show twice a year in Las Vegas. I, I don't like Las Vegas at all. It's just all the zombie-like, <laughs> human beings playing slot machines with that blank stare and the noise and the bright lights and the loud music and the it I just it I just don't like it and so one time we were staying at the Hilton and we were tired after a show and I mistook some of my wife's medication for my own and I took some and I had gone to bed thinking like I always did about the nature of who we are, what, what is this? And I knew that things did not exist. There's no such thing as a mountain 
or river, uh, that things exist only in the naming of them, separate things. Mm. There's, there's a large pile of rocks there that, in the physical world, but it isn't a mountain until we draw a line around it and say that's a mountain. So I know that things didn't exist, but when I went to bed, I, I don't know if this medication altered my thinking enough or just, I don't know, I have no idea. But I started I, thinking that if things don't exist, how real is the holder of things? How real am I? And then I started, I, I got nauseous and I started to kind of swirl and it scared me. So I tried to change the subject <laughs> of my own thought, which is a strange thought in itself, <laughs> but I couldn't. And the vortex increased and I was trying to stop it. Um, really scary. And I, uh, I heard a thought, I used to say I heard a voice, but I don't hear voices. <laughs> uh, I heard a, a thought, the thought came that you little chicken shit, <laughs> you have waited for this your whole life and now you act like a frightened little girl. And I changed that to person over the years because that came from a shaming father who called us little girls if we cried when we fell and fell off a horse or something. And so that's the words that came. And uh, I found out later that was politically incorrect. <laughs> so, but that's what the voice said. You know, you don't, you're acting like a little girl. <clears throat> and now I know the girls are just as brave as boys, or <laughs> braver maybe. Uh, and so I let go. And it was a chewing up terrible, terrible, bloody affair. I, I don't know, after, it was a personal Armageddon, a catharsis. And I have no idea what happened. I have, I just don't have, it, it's a, took me to a place where words cannot go. And I woke up the, mo the morning weeping, I was just, quietly weeping to myself and it alarmed my wife. I said, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I, this is, I'm okay. This is what I wanted. And uh, I cried for two days and we drove through Las Vegas on the way to the show. And uh, I was kind of slumped down in a chair looking out at the green grass and the mountains and the, there was a big wrought iron gate and everything was so exquisitely pristine and beautiful. The people in their colorful clothes and little dogs and I wondered what dogs were really. And um, I looked up and we had been on Flamingo Drive and we turned slowly onto Paradise. And I thought, oh, this is Paradise. <laughs> And the feeling has lost that intensity, but it has kind of blended out into my daily experience. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, there's a, always in the center of the rough brain chatter, this incessant thought stream that is who we are. 
there is the most quiescent, sublimely quiescent center that's undisturbed by anything. Uh, one time I had a back spasm and it really hurt bad. I'd rank it right up there with childbirth. <laughs> and it was really painful. And my wife took me to the hospital, which is about 30 miles away. Mm. And uh, when I finally got to the hospital, the doctor said, oh yeah, that's a back spasm. <laughs> It'll go away. But I was on the table laughing and I thought, how could anything be this painful? What, what purpose is this to the human being to be this painful? I said, if half this painful, I would have taken care of it. I would have done something. But, so I was laughing and the doctor said, is he laughing? <laughs> My wife said, yeah, he does that. <laughs> um, I have opinions. I am opinions. I have political views, but those define the sense of self. I have all the, I, my emotions run the whole gamut of the human spectrum. I see a beautiful woman and midbrain reacts and frontal cortex realizes I don't want them anymore. I want them to be happy, but I don't want them. Uh, for mine, my woman, uh, I do. I, I see them as just this beautiful, exquisite femininity. Um, and I see men the same way. I saw a black couple walking through Target the other day and they had shoulderless shirts on. And I looked at the skin and it was like colored like chocolate. And I thought, oh my God, that is so beautiful. And I looked at my kind of orangey pinky hands. <laughs> I thought, wow, brown skin would be wonderful. And I told my granddaughters this, and uh, eight and six, and my wife went to the store to buy them some dolls or something they wanted. And one of them picked out a, a little black doll with, with chocolate-covered skin. She said, Papa, I remember what you said about chocolate-colored skin. I said, oh, that's nice. Um, and it was a beautiful doll. And I thought, oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't really talk about this to the kids much, hardly ever. I think we have to be fully integrated into the dream before we can realize we're being dreamt. Mm. You're awfully mm. quiet. What's that? You're awfully quiet. Well, I think it just comes, I, 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 so, uh, it's just the way it is, isn't it? You're, you're in total flow and it's lovely to listen and to hear what you have to say um, and hear the stories coming uh, out. So it's kind of, um, it's quite nice to listen. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, was, I, I feel like saying less is almost more. Sometimes uh, it's just lovely to uh, hear you um, with flow. It's very, the childlike joy sort of kind of is um, just lovely to see, lovely to hear. It's, um, it's lovely. The world is just, we just don't talk like this. You know, it's the way it is. It seems to be the way it is. We're like to, to put into, I kind of got in the last while talking to my, used to always say to my daughter, well, which one do you prefer? This one or this one? And she would always say both. 
And what Both. do you like about this? And she'd go, I like everything. And then in recent times, I was on a, a, on a ski trip and somebody was saying, well, what do you think of this? This is amazing. Well, do you like this part? And I, I was kind of just wanted to go, we just, well, I mean, first of all, I'm just skiing. And secondly, everywhere is amazing. So I, they want, where do you stop? And where do you start? Everywhere is stunning. Like it was actually stunning. But the ordinary, tiny, anything is stunning. So every part is stunning. So which part? Okay, maybe some of the views. But it was kind of in that moment of my frustration at having to answer. Because it felt like, you know, coming out of a scenario to try to describe, oh yeah, okay, this is great. I could totally understand now my daughter going, yeah, everything's great. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it seems like a lazy answer, but actually it's not. She meant yeah. it. Everything meant is amazing. Everything is amazing. Yeah, as adults, we break uh, not only things up into segments, but events. Uh, we see events as separate things when it's an event flow. Uh, there's no such thing as a separate event. That's that one of the reasons we talk about there being no such thing as choice, because there's no separate events from which to choose. Not only that there is no entity that can choose, but there's no separate events from which to choose. Um, <clears throat> I, see, I live delicately or beautifully suspended between two worlds, one imaginary and the other physical. That's what it feels like. I, I really don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like I, I, I see lines between that tree and the boulder, but somehow they, the lines disappear in one part of my reality. And uh, we function only in this named place. I used to, uh, Sundog, William Beersley on Rainbows has, uh, had a, it was a, he's a retired philosophy professor. And sometimes I would go down to his class and talk, which is kind of hard to talk about this stuff to 18 year olds at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so sometimes I'd catch one. One young man started to cry once and an older doctor that always attended his class was drawn in. And I start talking about things exist only in the naming of them. And I would offer them a thousand dollars and that would get their attention <laughs> if they could think of anything that didn't have a name. So they'd start thinking and they're thinking and they're looking around and they're thinking and they want thousand dollars. <laughs> so one young man raised his hand and said, nothing. I, I acted like, Oh, we call that nothing. <laughs> that's mm. And so, oh yeah, he says, well, that's right. <laughs> so far, I don't know, five, four, five, six times, there was no takers. Um, one time on Rainbows, I wrote that scientists have determined there's over 36 billion unnamed things in the universe. And so... There's so, unnamed things. <laughs> unnamed things, yeah. There's no such thing as an unnamed thing. And so one lady says, well, how did they determine that? <laughs> Bless her heart. And everything I write is, it's never about what it's about. It's its kind of a, hopefully a circuitous route to get the mind to say, well, 
I can't think of anything that's not named. Um, to try to see that our reality, or what we mistake for reality, is this conceptual consensus overlay. And that's who we are. We can't escape it. We can't transcend it. We can't change it. We, uh, we are just merely awareness, whatever that is. That's just another name. But we are, we are sentient awareness, aware that it's aware because it names things. It creates a false separation, the illusion of separation. And in that gap is where we live. Um, we can't unify things. You can't make oneness out of a bunch of separate things that don't exist. <laughs> so we keep searching for this Shangri-La where everything is one, when in fact that's never going to happen. Um, I truly believe we are the light of the world. We are tiny temporary windows in which through which the manifested universe gets a fleeting glimpse of its own wonder and magnificence. Only through us. Dogs don't sit in awe of the beauty of a flower or a hummingbird or... The great uncertainty in what you're saying as well, that is, that is, my sense that that is, it's an apparent um, awe at a flower. If you, if you know what I mean, that somehow arises in, it somehow arises. It's not a kind of a, it's a, a choice that's arising that apparently, that appears to happen. You know, you, somehow there's a movement and the movement is caught. Somehow in motion and in this happening, uh, a love of the flower or in loveness with something your daughter might do or grandchild or whatever it is that appears as opposed to you know a doing it's suddenly uh, that's the that's the sensation that's fully lived not by anyone they, do you know what i'm trying to say there it's i think so um you, when you were describing you know people who are, we're the light of the world and we get to see but it's it, it's within the it's a it's, it's a beautiful that's a, a story as well in a sense that description of that somehow somehow there is this awareness awakeness to this but that even that is that's not real either. No. No. <laughs> so I just, I suppose, I kind of just for uh, cl not clarity, but just for description purposes, that it's all wonderfully, stunningly. Somehow that's that seems to happen, mm. but it's it's a mystery. But it's a mystery that <laughs> it's a mystery that I'm saying it's a mystery. Yeah, <laughs> that, the, the, that this outpouring is happening. That this is, you know, this is It's not even. Is it even a conversation? It's a yeah. an outpouring yeah. that's fully lived and, and embraced in all of its in all of its everything. Yeah, and yet nothing. <laughs> um, this feeling tone 
perfumes the world once we, once it dawns on us who we are, this vast unknown unknowableness. Uh, we can't break through the dream because we are the dream. Only there does love and beauty exist in the universe. The universe is not even indifferent. <clears throat> it's just uh, flowing plasma goo. <laughs> um, impersonal doesn't even <clears throat> touch it. Uh, the caring and love exist in the human mind. And I always get into trouble with those people with pets when I say, you know, they don't really love you. Uh, they, you know, puppy licks your face because he likes the sweat or wants you to regurgitate some food. But that doesn't diminish your love for him or it or she, her. Uh, your love for them is beautiful, but it's one side of the equation. There's only one place where love exists. Um, I was walking on the boardwalk with uh, my grandson and his friend who were 14 and 15 or so. And a young black family were walking by holding a baby. <clears throat> and behind them were the grandparents. And they were just quietly walking along and smiling. And so I passed this baby and he caught my eye and I caught his eye. And so we looked at each other and the mother stopped. So we're looking at each other. And he reaches out like this, he goes. So I thought, oh boy, this is a dilemma. I never hold other people's babies just because I really don't, I just, it just crossing a border. So, I, I hate to turn down a hug or to reject a hug. So <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I never do it. <laughs> so I looked at the mother. I said, may I hold him? She said, sure. So she puts him, I reach out. He's still reaching out. And I hold him like this. He puts his head right here. And I, I disappeared. I feel myself disappearing now, remembering. And, and I looked up, the parents were laughing and the grandparents were crying. And I just don't remember any, I don't remember giving him back to her. I, the next thing I remember, we were walking up the boardwalk and my grandson's friend said, do you just hold other people's babies? I said, if I get a chance, I do. <laughs> but I literally dissolved. Uh, I dissolved yesterday with Tom. Uh, at the end of the conversation, when, it, when Rumi says, aha, that nothing could be said now, is when I love you comes out. Um, it feels, there's still a separation because we don't exist without that, but it feels like the lines have blended and blurred, and kind of, I don't know, their gravitational force pulls them closer to each other's center of gravity. Um, it's the sift then, isn't it though? That's uh, for me, you know, that would be a description of this soup in which the, we, this soup right now, when we are just in amongst, in, in the talking and the swirling of the words and the sounds and, and the movement between both, um, 
it's that's where the lostness is in the echoes and the sounds of um what we're saying not saying um it's quite lovely when words don't have to mean anything it's it's a kind of a gathering it's a kind of a sharing and there's the underlying uh-huh. even now like for me it's this almost when we share stories and we interact that almost this, it's the it's, it's the last of the stories but it's still almost lovely to share and swap and dance in this um when this underlying aliveness is so apparent or mm. this um mad flurry of whatever i mean it's Utterly fucking mind. <laughs> Beyond all the all the concepts and ideas and all the one it's a wonder there's wonder. <laughs> and there's wonder. A wonder of wonder. Um, there's a moment when dancing, when the two dancers become the dance. Uh, didn't happen all that often, or when when uh, a duet uh, of chamber music or a quartet or sometimes the music becomes one entity in itself and it must be beautiful to be highly skilled at a violin or a cello to lose yourself in that combined musical effort uh, to be a fine dancer and lose yourself in the dance um, some some peoples lose themselves in the drumming of drumming together. Uh, so all cultures strive for this. Um, it's what we want. It's it's the most comfortable place. But then we we our gravitational centers separate. And, we're off into our own universe. And it really is a separate galaxy of beliefs, ideas, fears, hopes, dreams of the future, uh, the whole living collage of, I, I did hospice work for 10 or so years and I grew to see each person as this living novel. That, and I, I, several of the people I sat with were veterans from World War II. Most of them are dying now. And uh, the stories I'd hear, when people are dying, they don't have any reason to hold anything back. And uh, God, the stories. One man, I sat with his wife. Uh, she had congestive heart failure. And then when he was dying and got cancer, he asked if I would come and sit with him. And so I did. I loved him very much. And when he was 13, he ran away from a Nebraska farm to the circus. <laughs> so they said, yeah, come on, you can come with us. And uh, they said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to work with elephants. And they uh, said, okay. <laughs> and they put him in the ring with a, baby African elephant, which are not the trainable kind, <laughs> the ones with the big ears. The ones they can train and gentle down are the Indian 
subcontinent elephants with the little ears, but he didn't know the differences from Nebraska. <laughs> so African elephants are mean as hell, even when they're young. So this African elephant starts chasing around the ring and they had given him a stick and he'd say, he'd whack it on the head and say, stop, back, back. And I guess the elephant just trounced the hell out of him. <laughs> but he kept trying. He kept get back in the ring or get up again. And the elephant would get him again. And uh, the whole circus was out there laughing. Everybody just rolling on the floor. I guess they're pretty rough people. <laughs> so he was pretty battered and bruised. And, and the owner said, well, you know, you tried so hard. Nobody makes it through the first round with that. He said, I'm going to let you work with elephants. And he said he worked with elephants the time he was with the circus. I said, do you like elephants? And he started to cry. He said, I love elephants. Um, and then his story went on and on and on. And he saved several people's lives when he was on a fishing boat. And he was in the war. And they, oh, my God, it just, just this whole novel. And I only got a fraction of it. And then I watch as his breathing slows, and I see a whole universe unravel. Um, the mystery of a life coming undone. Before he died, I kissed him on the forehead and told him I loved him. Because I did. Um, After the shift, I have not been afraid of death, and hospice helped a lot with that. That was before the shift. <clears throat> I see it as kind of taking propothal. <laughs> you just disappear, mm -hmm. uh, never to be seen again. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote on rainbows that when someone dies, we will miss seeing our face in their eyes for as long as we live. Uh, and that's true. We, we only get to see ourselves through other people. We can't see ourselves because most of all, because it doesn't exist. But feedback through people I meet like you, I get a fleeting glimpse of my own beauty and wonder. Uh, everyone I meet I'm sorry it's quite lovely what you said there um, yeah um, hmm I know I had something there that was going to come out of my mouth, but then it didn't come out. <laughs> Nothing came out. Um, yeah, you see, everything is imbued with story. Every, every tiny little appearance almost has a a story that everywhere almost has rabbit holes and 
And you talk there about people's and their lives, like storybooks. I mean, it, it, in, uh, from one perspective, there is, that is it, like there's just, I mean, it's the greatest show on, in, well, there's no other show. <laughs> so the show, this is incomparable and mm. um, wondrously incomparable. But the, but the live, it's, yeah, it is that this can be the greatest hell, obviously. But I suppose the, um, that idea of everything having a story almost is, you guess why there's words like wonder used when describing the smallest things, but it's not a, when, a, a, when you would hear, I would have heard that things are filled with wonder, then I would, uh, in the past, let's say before Endgame happened, I would have thought that, okay, then that is, has to be like this. So wonder has to be like this, but more, it's more a open, empty, Oh, but not all in a oh, it's just an openness to the tiniest little things, these they hope whatever it may be that appears, but it's not as I would have thought it was. If you get my, I would have thought that I wouldn't have, I never would have grasped the ordinariness of, of hmm. this. And that ordinary is okay, and whatever appearing, even if it's not okay, is somehow this underlying. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's what's, that's how it is. Oh, uh, I, I think to be a human is the very worst and the very best sentience has to offer. Mm. Uh, it does have a hellish side. Uh, I was an alcoholic, practicing alcoholic for years. My dad died of delirium tremors, and he was a violent man. Um, his life was not happy. Uh, it's all heaven and hell is, is here with us. Uh, I happen to believe that I live in heaven, that after going through the gates of hell, uh, and I'm kind of I'm grateful for it all. Uh, and not that it could be any different than it was. And me being grateful for it is, is just superfluous too. But um, I, I love simply being. And I love this profound unknowingness. The idea that we mistake description for understanding when ultimately we can understand nothing. Mm. Um, we don't know what water is. I had a friend that was an advanced physics student in Berkeley, and I said, Albert, what is magnetism? How do like two magnets like do that thing? He says, we have no idea. I said, really? Really? <laughs> but we don't know what electricity is. We, when I, I took my contractor's test and I had to know what an amp and a volt and a watt was. And I thought, I, I pretty much understand electricity, but I don't. 
Yeah. You understand it more when you stick your finger in the socket. <laughs> that's the case with uh, that's the case with everything. Everybody's around. Like I was talking to somebody about this, and it was just this idea of, oh yeah, you know, all the experts about the so-called experts, and they're saying, speaking very eloquently, and it's serious, and it definitely means something. And yeah. sometimes, like I get that feeling of. This is great. I mean, what a show. You know what? Fair play, everybody. This is only really, really convincing. Okay. Yeah. It's really over serious now. Okay. This yeah. is, you know, um, but they are, they, if everybody used to stop and go, no, I actually have the clue. <laughs> I'm just going blah, 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 blah. I'm just even my PhD, all of the years in books and uh, effort, all of that, yeah, amounts to <laughs> nothing. But you, I mean, you can't go around saying that. Like you can't go, you can't go, you, you can't really. I mean, start saying, yeah, okay, but that is actually nothing. Nothing. Uh, you know, it's still useful, I suppose, if somebody if that something's broken and maybe somebody can fix something. <laughs> but this idea of knowledge and I've got all this knowledge yeah. and learning and I'm an expert. So, so uh, whatever way it occurred to me one of the days, I just thought, oh, can we, we could just have a conversation and in that conversation, we could all just go, yeah, yeah, no, I haven't a clue, I haven't a clue. And nobody does. Woohoo! This is divine, stunning. We are in the, we're swimming in the vortex of utter unknown. Can we just have a hug and just go, what the fuck, look. We just do that even for a moment. Then I go back to the game and we'll be serious and we do all the things, but we just acknowledge for a moment the divine clueliness. And we'll all, you know, it's just, and sometimes I just convince, okay, well, maybe I'm just asleep. I'm asleep in no. this. And everybody else is just, Totally awake and going, yeah, we know, we know, we know, but just let's get on, keep it going. The game, look at this, yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember I haven't that this, I, I had this other chat with somebody, and I say in a, in a flash, this was seen and seen everywhere. This is seen, this empty, unknown, or it's, I don't know if it's admitted to, whatever word, it's finally just boom. I feel, this is a personal, I feel if I started going, um, what about this, eh? What a, look, look at this. Everybody go, Frank, shut the fuck up. We know, okay? So can we just get back to the game? I, I have a job to do, with yeah. appointments to be made, and I, I need to give a lecture on the hypothesis of something. So, yes. And we like this. So could you just shish? That's, you know, it seems yeah. like that sometimes. Everybody just knows and they're just, just okay, okay. Just. <laughs> yeah. They, that imposter um, feeling that quite often people have and most often highly educated people. When my son graduated as a mechanical engineer, he said, dad, I don't know a thing about how building a bridge or I don't know anything. <laughs> I said, well, you get a job at a company that builds bridges and they teach you what you need to know. 
you just have the foundation. Doctors, when they graduate, they think, oh my God, I'm going to have a first patient here. And I, I, don't, I just somehow skip through and everybody else knows how to be a doctor, but I don't. Uh, that's, that's quite common. Uh, it's because we somehow sense that we really don't know. I mean, they can mend a broken leg or stitch up a cut. And they, I love doctors. I have a lot of them. <laughs> but, and I appreciate the time they spent learning their craft. Uh, I would do that probably four times without them. <clears throat> but uh, the social sciences and the philosophy majors and the English and art history <laughs> majors uh, who are, you can get your doctorate in art history, evidently. I don't know. <laughs> uh, which is interpretation of beauty, I suppose. I don't know. Um, th there is this profound peace in unknowing. Uh, usually that creates stress. And we try to fill in the blanks when it's all blank. Um, there is a peace that passes understanding. Knowing that, and I don't, I don't want unification anymore. I don't exist there. I love this imaginary separation. Uh, I love memory. I, because we objectify the world, we have a memory. We can, we can picture the future. We can invest in a retirement account to make our future more secure. It's, it's, this, this is a wonderful gift, this being aware of being aware. <clears throat> I truly believe it's the jewel of the universe. It's the best and the worst life has to offer. Uh, and all the time we're trying to escape it or transcend it or manipulate it or make it better. And all the time, at the end of some of these things that appear stark to people, uh, like the death thing, you'll never see them again. I'll end with, oh, look, there's a butterfly. Or, oh, look, there's a hummingbird. To bring the light back into the crushing idea that we're going to die and we won't be coming back. <laughs> well, we're not going to die. We never really existed. But... Uh, other than a mental fabrication of an objectifying brain. But I love that now. I love the fact that someone put my wife, someone now, somehow my wife and I, the universe has coincided. We've been married 55, 56 years, I forget. And I love her more now than ever. Uh, she was trying to get the house ready for this meeting this morning. I said, oh, honey, it's, it's okay. It's just an informal talk. But she, she made sure the whole thing. Oh, you'd have to turn around the computer then to give me a look. I enjoy every moment with her. Um, oh, dearly lover. Uh, I love my son. My son is into this too. He's on the rainbows. Contributes sometimes, but he's pretty busy with little ones and got two and going to be in college soon. One of his is and one going to college next year. Then he has two little ones too, and I love them. 
I wrestle with them. Sometimes, one time when the teenagers were little, I, not one time, but several times, whenever it rained, I would go out and lay on the grass and they would lay on my back just to feel the rain. And one time, Gwenny, who is now, was seven at the time, she said, Papa, would you lay on the grass in the rain like you did with Nate and Zoe? I, I evidently, they had told her. And I said, of course I will. I said, the next time it rains, I said, I'll be right at your door. So, and I did. I went over and laid on the grass and she laid on my back. And we had, I didn't get cold at all. Uh, I said, do you feel the rain, Gwenny? She said, yes, I do. She said, Papa, I could take a nap here. I said, I could too. Um, and she was trying to reach under me so my hands would be warm. She's a loving child. And we had the most wonderful conversation out there in the rain, getting soaking wet. And uh, I said, will you do this with your children and grandchildren? Or she said, oh, for sure. Um, and it's just that. Just that. My papa used to do this with me. Oh, I, put, I posted a video of a little, I think she's Chinese, a little Chinese one-and-a-half-year-old just walking, and she discovers the rain. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Did you see that? I do, yeah, yeah. I did oh, see it. She's God. looking around in total awe. Oh, she loves it. She's great. And then she, mother picks her up, brings her inside. She cries and screams and wants to go back out there. But she was feeling the rain. And we get to a point where we don't. And I'm not sure we ever can because we have a name for it. She didn't have a name for it, but it was just this little pieces of water coming out of the sky, hitting her skin, and she loved it. Uh, I think that that may be gone for us, but I don't know. We can try to get to it, but I don't know. I don't care. But the loving moment we had together with Wendy laying on my back in the rain. Of course, everybody else thought we were crazy. But we didn't. And I remember that moment well until the day I die. Um, it was wonderful. Um, I, it's, um, it's quite lovely um, how you uh, talk. I mean, say in this game of seeking, and um, there's apparently people who, you know, proactively talk about this subject and um, or not this subject, but they just talk. But it can it, it, sometimes it's kind of feels a little bit to me like um, now I can understand the why of it, but it's very much. Um, there's no stories discussion. It's all it's utterly focused on a description of two it can come to there's one in mind is coming to mind but can come across quite dogmatic and yet it's 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 it is apparently free but it doesn't it's it still seems to be somewhat constricted have you noticed that in these kind of you know when you're looking on youtube and looking at videos where there's an apparent message about this and yet it comes across as uh, 
you're quite dogmatic of this is this is how it should be this is how it should come across mm-hmm. but how how you speak you can just i don't get the impression that there's one care in the entire world and it's just total whatever is being said it's just total loveness with whatever there's no <clears throat> it doesn't come across the right way wrong way <laughs> sort of um, thing. You mentioned seeking, and uh, it crossed my mind some time ago. It dawned on me that all of sentient life seeks uh, a fox in the forest. Uh, they're always looking for something, something to fulfill the mandates to survive and reproduce. That is sentience, is seeking. We are that, the midbrain has its own priorities, and we also are the objectified seeking. We seek things that exist as our own ideas, only as our own ideas. We seek enlightenment, although if you ask a crowd of 100 people if they could explain what enlightenment is, (laughs) no hands go up. we, never, we don't have a definition for it. Well, we do, but it uses other, other words that mean in life. <laughs> uh, so we're, seekers are, all, I don't want to say condemned, but defined by seeking things that don't exist or exist only as their own ideas. And no wonder they have trouble. Um, they seek to better themselves and any change made to themselves, if there is a change, is just the new self. You, you, you don't change, you just, you know, uh, chip away at a rock and it isn't changed, it just becomes that new shape. Um, and we can't change ourselves anyway because we are not the origin of ourselves. I believe it's the, cortex, the uh, frontal cortex, the scintillating synaptic electrochemical reactions within that most amazing thing in the universe is the brain, human brain. It concocts all of this uh, pseudo reality and then sends this pseudo character out to search for itself. And that's why I got kicked off of most lists is saying that every path in a dream is a dream path and only leads back into the dream. Uh, We are the dream from which we secret escape or transcend, 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 transcendation. Uh, and it's it's sad and funny, not funny anymore. I I, I see seekers so desperately wanting what they already are. Um, no one knows what causes the shift. Several people have experienced. David Karras went through a catharsis. UG Krishnamurti went through a terrible catharsis, agonizing. Um, 
but there's a couple people on the list who have this and slipped into it slowly over time. Mm. Uh, it's quite apparent that they have it um, without a catharsis. For me, I think it took a, <laughs> a sound trouncing. Uh, old ideas are hard to give up because we are those ideas. People defend their beliefs to their death. I just heard of a flat earther who built a and he died in it. <laughs> so in his effort to prove the earth was flat, he was willing to risk his life. <clears throat> um, the brain defends itself of sense of self because it has a lot invested in it. It's a great survival reproductive organism. Look at how many people there are on the earth. It's worked fantastically. And I think there is love and beauty because life as a human being would be intolerable and bearable without them. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't have survived for 400,000 years if there weren't love and beauty. Um, so that's the byproduct of evolution also. I think. That, to me, that doesn't diminish the love I feel for people and my wife and my grandbabies and the people on rainbows I dearly love and I quite often say I love you and that doesn't bother my wife at all <laughs> a lady came to visit we were at the restaurant it's very pretty young and we were talking like this and it's very intimate very close and if you were looking in, you'd say, gee, those people really <laughs> are in love. When again, I see them as swirling universes of beliefs and fears and hopes and dreams, and, not dreams. Uh, but the waitress came up to me and said, hi, where's your wife? <laughs> yeah, I said, I laughed. I said, oh, she knows I'm here. Uh, <laughs> And I felt badly about that. I was going to have D go in. She was trying to protect D. She likes both of us. Oh. <laughs> She's Hispanic and speaks very little English, but we always leave her a good tip. And she really likes us. We like her. Yeah, hi. Where's your wife? <laughs> so cute. Um, she obviously thinks you've still got it. <laughs> <laughs> I told I told my wife. I don't know. And we know the owner of the restaurant very well. And she may have told her that she saw me there with a pretty young woman. And I don't really care. Um, I don't care what people think anymore. It's kind of funny. They can't help what they think. They are not the thinker. Um, I, I just, I cannot explain... what this is like and you can't either i mean you 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 glow you have have this most pleasant feeling tone about you um peace i'm curious I, I i just when you were talking about the timing it's it's funny i seem to say now was that this has been going on for 20 years. I couldn't have said that before. 
uh, and uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I, I do seem to, um, I think my head was blown off 20 years ago, utterly, completely, and not at all pleasantly. It was no. utterly shocking. I, or whatever way I reacted to at the time, I, I just remember walking around stunned at the idea that there was something versus nothing and also stunned at uh i just remember going uh, how, 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 how am i talking are they do they see uh, am i here are they there what's what and this one's going on this went on and it's only now i look back and i kind of go and i think it kind of it was just such a shock because i was a pretty strong Catholic, I was a person, I lived in a world and I was, it was all very strong. So when this happened 20 years ago, I think I was stunned and I still kept going around looking for somehow looking started to happen then in myriad of different ways. But some, uh, and then say coming across this sort of non-dual type message, uncompromising, whatever non-dual message, it seemed like that was what I was looking for. But then I, I was still convinced, okay, but what, how, how, there's an impression that something's, the way I read it was they knew something, even though, they always said, no, this is unknowable. It's utterly unknowable. But because it was being volunteered in conversation or seen on books or on YouTube, I felt, okay, well then still something must be known. It can't be just unknowing. And then I think, you know, final, if you see everything is, final end, it would have been impossible and it's always wonderfully impossible the seeing and that's the amazing amazing that it was all dreamt it was never you know sure how did you get that when that seeing is also dreamt oh. yeah. yeah I still maybe you know I'm still when I talk about it here I'm still utterly blown by that part, that, not that, that part, but still, still, yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, I had a hospice client that had Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, ALS, and everybody loved him. He was a, a building inspector, and who normally aren't like that much, but a hundred people loved him. Uh, his ex-wife and his wife's ex-husband all came and laughed and cried and probably a hundred people uh, while in time I was with him for two years and I loved him too. And one time as the disease progressed, his speech became very difficult to tell. And it, by that time, he, his wife and myself were about the only ones that could understand him. And I said, Fred, why, how is it that everyone loves you so much and, and you're so peaceful with this condition you're in? 
he, he told me, he said he wouldn't choose his disease, but he wouldn't have known how much love there was in the world without it. <clears throat> and I said, your attitude and your lovability, and I said, what happened to you? Where does that come from? And he thought for a while and he says, well, I never told anybody this. And those the squeaky voice they have as they're approaching the end. Um, he said, but I was, when I was a young man in Hawaii, Maui, I was on the beach and I took LSD. He said, just one time. He said, and the world turned inside out. He says, I was never the same. The world, I became, and he was trying to phrase his words because I, I don't ever talk to patients about, clients about this stuff. And uh, so he was trying to find the words to say that it, he opened up, that he realized everything was inside of him. Uh, the stars spun through his synaptic gaps. And I said, okay, I understand now. Uh, and when he died, there were, I bet 50 people in the room. And I went outside to take a break and a Hispanic, young Hispanic man in an old truck drove up. And I said, are you here to see we're not just supposed to say their names. <laughs> Were you here to see Bob? He said, see, he said, he's inside, come on in. So he didn't speak any English and he came in and sat next to the bed. And Bob said, hi, Juan. <laughs> and Bob had three cats and all the two years I was there, I never saw, I saw the tail of one once because they were just scared of everybody. But when he was dying with 50 people in the room, they all three were laying on the bed with him. Mm. Um, the first time I saw him. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? But the love that was there as he was dying was palpable. We all loved him. I had another client who had a cat. They had 13 cats in the house and he was dying of a stroke and badly bent over and he could blink one eye to tell you if he was in pain. He had an old, one of the old cats was named Pick and he was really ugly and missing hair and his face was actually crooked. When canine was gone, he was ugly cat but he would crawl up on his chest and purr really loudly and stay there all day long until the nurse came and she'd shoo him off and he'd wait till the white car left and jump back on his chest and stay there and uh, <laughs> she said his wife had advanced diabetes and couldn't walk so she told me that, and I wasn't there when when the client died. But she told me the cat crawled up on his forehead and purred really loud, louder than he normally did. 
until he died. And then he jumped off and went about his business. And I thought, geez, I never liked cats. I grew up in Wyoming and never had cats. But I like cats now. <laughs> um, his eyes were half closed, just purring. Uh, I tried to find him. She moved. They put her in a home. And I tried to find Pick. Two or three weeks, I drove around the neighborhood. I was going to bring you home. I couldn't find him. But that, those, oh, there was a little 18-year-old girl from Arkansas. The house was terrible. Dirty. No, no, no. They hired her to clean the house. But I came in one morning, and she had brought her sleeping bag and was laying underneath him, holding his hand. I thought, oh my God. When I came home from the house, I would take off my clothes and wash them. Because it was, but there she stayed all night with him to hold his hand. And she was just hired to clean the house. I see that kind of love all the time. At Target the other day, a young mother was, she had three children and one of them was one of those hitters and the other were peaceful and quiet but he he actually hit her in the face two or three times and she'd grab his hand and say no don't don't hit that hurts me so and she other two where she was trying to balance all three of these children and this one that was out of control and she walked by me and i said you're a wonderful mother she was she didn't slap his hand or didn't slap him or jump on him. She just tried to gentle him down like you would a horse. Just gentle him down a little. <clears throat> but the patience and, you know, she's 24 hours she does this. I see heroes. Single mothers and single fathers who get up at 3 o'clock in the morning with a coughing child and go to work at 5. Everywhere, heroes. I love you. <laughs> that came up by itself. I don't know where that came from, but I do. It's good to meet you. See each other in person. I doubt the chances of that are very slim, but when I say in person, I always put quotes around it. <clears throat> yeah, in physical. I'll make it out to California someday. This podcast would become huge and I'll just get flown everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh I just get flown everywhere and go on all these adventures and sit and talk to people. That would be a lovely job, by the way. You know. Oh, it would be. It would be. Um, I would think that most people would love to share. Um, uh, it's the only reason I one time one of my teachers uh, who I loved a great deal and pretty controversial guy is named Jan Cox in Atlanta and uh, I used to correspond a lot with him and I thanked him one time he says oh no he says you don't have to thank me he said this is why I get up in the morning um, it seems that seekers and those who have experienced a catharsis or shift in perspective 
kind of gravitate towards each other. Uh, I warn people on the list, don't talk about this stuff on the first date. (laughs) 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 Not have a second one. Yeah, it's a great way to end conversations, all right, really, in in some cases, from time to time, you can be surprised. The other day I was surprised, it it, it didn't feed into it, but it somehow came out and and the person just totally lent into the conversation. and before they'd even grasped it, you could see the body move towards, the, yeah. as opposed to, you know, indifference or whatever, just a total movement was lovely to see. And yeah, he didn't even cop, uh, he didn't know, but you can see it. I've never seen that before, that resonance or that, um, it's that you're surprised almost um, that there's an openness sometimes, then sometimes. I've noticed that actually quite often. Uh, I was several years ago, I was in San Diego with a friend I've had from the, the Circado, the Circadata list. Uh, Pete is his name. He's from Cuba. He's about my age. And uh, we had coffee together. Encinitas? I don't remember. Somewhere around San Diego. And beautiful dappled sunlight coffee shop. And we were talking like this. And, a young man kept feeding the chair a little bit closer and he was behind Pete so I noticed him and kind of gave Pete the nod to look behind and he looked behind and smiled but at the coffee shop I've noticed that too people will be working on the computer or up so we go upstairs and it's a quiet room people will stop working and start listening and uh, I, I don't want to take away from the person that I'm talking with, so I don't invite them in, but sometime I will, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's those people who resonate. The, in the philosophy class, there were probably eight or maybe four <laughs> who resonated, who said, ah, oh, I'm not going crazy. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's lovely. Um, yeah, I had I had a uh, before I, I had a notion just to ask you before I I need to go and eat some food and um, I had a notion to ask you what's your sense of this idea of a teacher now when you you seem to talk fondly of those teachers there was never obviously a feeling of the entrapment of that, or you don't look at uh, a teacher in a certain way and then go, uh, they're just peddling something. Or I don't, uh, I see them as talking heads now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They couldn't help what they were doing. Uh, yeah. I think teachers and seekers kind of gravitate, gravitationally attracted to each other. Uh, I think they might be the same phenomenon. Uh, Opposite sides of the same magnet. I I, I don't know. Um, no, I would see that. Yeah, opposite sides of the same magnet. It's the same. It's one absolutely reliant on the other. It's uh-huh. and yeah. both fuels. Both are fuel for each other, and it's and this can't be helped. It is what it is. But it's yeah, yeah. yeah no, I would see it in the exact same way. 
I think without seekers, I, I just, I don't, I don't think I would have gone insane, but I would have become more isolated. Uh, I would, for years, I wanted to get some acreage, very isolated. Um, because I don't have anything in common with, with other people. Uh, I don't, I don't indulge small talk. Uh, I don't indulge, uh, political ideologies and I don't, I don't, they just, I can't, uh, I can't tolerate it for some reason. And I haven't read, like I mentioned anything. I picked up a Why Woo Why book, uh, that missed being tossed out. <laughs> I tossed all my books away. Um, and I, I loved Why Woo Why. Um, read all of his books. And uh, I started to read it and I didn't even get through the first sentence. Um, and I put it down. I thought, hmm. And Gene Klein and who else? Rupert Spira. I met him. He's really quite wonderful. But I've diverged from his philosophy a great deal. Jeff Foster, I used to read, but I he seems to have slipped from description into prescription. And I see any path recommended as paths back into the dream. It's all dream. Like you said, enlightenment is part of the dream. Mm -hmm. It's part of the objectified overlay. Um, so I, I imagine there's some new Leo Hartung I enjoyed. Oh but, yeah, I met Leo. Did you? He's I quite... met Leo, I sought Leo out and he somehow met me for coffee. And I sent him an email and we sat and he ate some of my pastry and we just chatted and um, it was absolutely lovely. And he just said, um, I just, uh, I can't, I, I'm never going to be a, I talk to, if somebody has a question, I'll have a lovely to have a conversation, but I'm never going to volunteer this. It just reinforces the idea that it's, it's known and I just don't seem to be comfortable with that. But he was an absolute dude. Oh, I'll bet. An absolute dude, yeah. True, true. Yeah, I loved him. Um, yeah, I, I don't hear him quoted too much anymore, or uh, I don't hear his name come up. Uh, I really mm -hmm. love David Carr's uh, Perfect Brilliant Stillness and Susan Seagal. Um, geez, I read everybody. <laughs> I read one Shirley MacLaine book at the first. <laughs> um, I think I read everyone myself as well. Oh. Every single one. <laughs> yeah, I heard this latest thing on Robert Adams, who was um, the surrogate protege, one of the smoking lineage. And he was not who he appeared to be, evidently. He's <laughs> a scoundrel. Mm. Um, used to like him a lot. But I, I see them all now as human beings, as even the ones that apparently have slipped into what the guru papers call the dark side of being a teacher. But once you're surrounded by a thousand fawning syncophants, it's easy to become for the wires to get crossed in the midbrain. 
Um, Muji seems to have slipped off the edge. <laughs> you know, all the pictures you used to see with people leaning up against it. One time I said that Alma is the new typhoid Mary. She's going to spread more germs than mm. anybody. And that made people mad. Somebody said so they went to see Alma for a hug and they waited in line for two hours. And got to be their term and they slammed their head up against a wet spot on her chest and she didn't smell so good and it was a terrible experience. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah, I, well, my friend called Raman of the dude in the diapers and he got booted off of more lists than, than I did. <laughs> but there, there, it's not irreverence, it's just seeing them as human beings. Just human beings. Yeah. No uh, enlightened masters, nobody to bow down to. Uh, Still, I think when I look back now, I have a couple of friends and who, well, one in particular who would have always, always said that there is no one, it's already over and it can't be known. And, and we were friends for years and it was seen there with, let's just say, and it was the same, always the same, never changed, never, never changed. It was never, you're nearly there, Frank, or yeah. anything like that. When I was, you know, craving something, yeah, always the same. And you just say, well, that's what I'd guess, basically, well, that's what is appearing to happen. And it's now, I was talking to him on the phone the other day, and I say now to him, that was as close as love could be in that sense, that it was just that message being there, that it was already the case, that it was already over, that it was already being done. It's quite lovely. Quite lovely. I was talking to Wayne Lickerman one time, and uh, I said, I... I was typing on the thing. I had met him before and we were typing on and I said, uh, he had said something. I said, well, I feel like I'm falling now. He said, okay. He said, I said, no, I feel like I'm falling. I really feel like I'm falling. He said, just let go of the fall. And then of course that, didn't help the falling at all. <laughs> let go of even the falling. You know, let go of enlightenment. Let go of everything. Never had it anyway. Let go of uh, letting go, somebody said to me once. <laughs> but all the words, because once there's somebody seeking, it'll just be, okay, I'm going to let go of that and go then. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. Impossible. Even, it's just impossible. I yeah, mean, it has to. It has to whatever this is arises in the moment that let go this was perfect for that unique moment in time and I, what, it's the reason i don't read anything I, the circuit said all those little things all those little sentences at separate times and maurice fieldman put them all together and, and they kind of matched so it looks like there's one continuous essay in his work but supposedly they're all individual sayings that Maurice made into a book that looks like a cohesive discourse, but uh, they were said to a unique moment in time. 
sometimes Ramana would say there was reincarnation. Sometimes he said there wasn't. But, uh, and, you know, some of the things we talk about wouldn't pertain to everybody at every time. Mm. Uh, but when he said, let go of the falling, at the time, it was perfect. Uh, but to use that as a prescription for someone else would be just like, you know, giving everybody the same medicine. Um, yeah. That's why I love to talk directly to people uh, instead of, of having it transcribed and written down. Uh, I think a few things come across, but I think the dance becomes the dance in a on a one-to-one -one ballroom. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's, it is. Um, I would agree with that. It's more fluid. If if we were to put a description, it's. Um, it's very interesting how you describe that there now, because it's really, um, that's what, and that's a description of how seeking, people just always really want to hear the story so they can take that and somehow make it about their own lives and grab little bits and say, maybe that could work for me. Yeah. It's, it's a pattern seeking machine, you know, they've, that's happened, so this could definitely happen and it's, um, that's just the way it is. It's, uh, it's amazingly unavoidable. Oh, it's, yeah. I think it's nice that some people appear to get it without, without going after it, that somehow it permeates their life. Uh, the one person I know in rainbows Everything he says, I wind up putting it on my homepage. Um, he has it. Uh, but no catharsis. I don't say the medicine I mistook taking anymore because I'm afraid people will go out and try to get some. <laughs> okay, from the hotel. Okay, yeah, yeah very good. Yeah, yeah. It's like Tony Parsons, people would say to Tony Parsons, so I know what you're saying, Tony, but where's that park again that you walked where's in? Where's that park again? Yeah, where's that tree exactly that you walked by? I know, I know what you're saying, but just, can you just tell me so I walk by it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to go there, but yeah, yeah I, I joke. Uh, one time, <laughs> again, sometimes misunderstood, but I said, I hadn't been through Las Vegas for 10 years, but I was driving past the Las Vegas Hilton, the North Tower, and I saw a large group of people walking around the North Tower, and they all had a little key on their neck. It said, room 1154. Uh, <laughs> like, that's where... That's the room that I had my <laughs> catharsis. Uh, so okay. I said, <laughs> and made some people mad. Some people laughed. <laughs> uh, I met Windancer after being both being kicked off of several groups. Uh, Nancy Nethercutt used to write under Windancer. And uh, she's the only one I resonated with for a long time. 
and I didn't know if they were a man or a woman. I didn't care, but uh, somehow we found each other. And I resonate with everything she says. I truly do. And I think, yeah, well, Nancy's a huge amount of love for you. Like I, I was saying the other day about that I was going to be chatting with you. Well, I mean, she didn't. <laughs> I just got the feeling of that fondness through whatever way she said it. She replied back. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can, I, I kind of get that vibe between you, whatever that is, that... Uh, yeah, I, I feel that for quite a few people on the group, uh, incredible closeness. Uh, several have come on board that speak the lingo, and um, one guy's from Germany, and he went away for a long time, and I missed him. Um, but this, the thing about rainbows is this ever-emerging moment. To me, it feels like, and I don't surf, but my grandkids and son do. So I get the, a little bit of feeling what it's like to finally catch a wave. And you lose yourself in that moment. And you're not thinking about anything except your body's reacting and you disappear. So the idea of surfing the moment this ever-arising tide, this, this thing where we're just surfing down this, shooting down this huge wave that we call life. And our body's reacting naturally and we're, uh, to me, that's, that's what it feels like. There's a thing I quote from Beattie, he's a, 14th century poet he talks about a sparrow flying through a cold winter night and he flies through the king's castle past the table where they're eating past the fireplace and out the back door and for a moment he experiences the warmth and, of the castle and, and then he's back out to the winter darkness to the void and he compares that to our life we're, shoot. <laughs> we shoot through this, get a fleeting glimpse of the beauty. And, you know, 80 years isn't that long of a time in the universe. It's a blink of the universe seeing its own wonder through us, but it doesn't last long. Mm. My wife and I look at each other and my granddaughter drew a picture of us and I said, you know, we really do look like that. <laughs> uh, she wasn't being mean. It's just what we look like. We're old. <laughs> I have a little hair on my head. And, uh, More hair than me. <laughs> no, no. So, and my wife has a cane. And, um, so I laugh at that. And so did she. She said, well, I guess, yeah, we are old, but you know, we all feel 22 uh, in ways. Mm. I, I just, uh, it's been nice talking with you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Thank you. I hope you'll share your experience more on rainbows. Yeah. I hope uh, that free flow of words was, was, 
flowing. It was it was nice, and to me, it's like floating down a warm river uh, on your back, watching the clouds and trees, not knowing where the river's going, not caring. Eventually, you wind up in the ocean. The river disappears. It's been fun. That's a lovely way to um, end those last few sentences. Beautiful. Say that again. Your last few sentences there is a lovely way to, um, just a lovely way to, to end, to say goodbye. Um, yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. How old are your children? Um, uh, nearly 14. <laughs> I don't know. Nearly 14, 13 and 12. Or sorry, no. 14, 13, several. I don't know. Um, 14, 13 and 9. My daughter's 9 and my two boys are 14 and 13. It's an interesting age. Um, I loved each age with my son so much. I love him now. He's 51. Wow. When he sees me, he puts his arms around me and kisses me on the forehead. Uh, I adore him. Mm -hmm. He has wonderful children. Yeah, this, if you think this is good, just wait. I used to hold, when all the time he was growing up, I used to hold his face in my hands and tell him I loved him. I would always love him. And uh, I would always be there for him. I didn't care if he, what he did or if he robbed banks. I didn't care if he was gay. I didn't care. But I'll always be here for him. I'll always be here to help you and love you. And uh, sometimes I'd say, come here, I want to tell you something. He said, Dad, I know. I said, no, I still have to tell you. <laughs> I think that they know that all the rough periods. We never had any rough periods with him. I had two daughters. I have one now, uh, but they were they were hard to raise. They were adopted, um, but it was a good adventure. Friendly with the one now, one left. Grand talking with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we look at each other's face, but actually we should be looking up at the picture, I think. Isn't that where the... Oh, we look at the camera. Well, I've just been looking at your face, so oh. I, 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 <laughs> if I was a better podcaster, I would do all those sorts of things, but no, I was just looking at you, yeah. They should figure out a way to shift the perspective when, when you're looking at the face, you're actually looking, when you're looking at the camera, where it shifts it down four inches where you're actually looking at the face. It's a nice little business idea, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> actually. Expertise to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a lovely little idea. It just has to avoid being on the screen, but then they should put it right bang in the center of the screen, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they can hide it like they do the speakers in the Sony TV. I don't know. There's our mind. mind.
behind the monitor. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. If somebody goes and does that now, they need to pay us loads of money. <laughs> we have it documented when we came up with the idea. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Right. Love to you and your family. Likewise. Ah, thank you. Oh, thank you. Bye bye. Let's see. Hi, if you like the conversation that I just had and you'd like more, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you.